Well, good morning. It's nice to be back with you. Just like to read a note from uh, from some of our international workers that you know. Um, I hesitate to name them, so I'll just refer to them as your missionaries that you're very well, uh, well familiar with. Um, she, her name is Jessie, her first name. Uh, she'd like to send greetings to you, and she wants you to know that they are safe. Uh, they were also impacted in their area uh, with this most recent earthquake. Uh, they are safe and had no damage, although there are <coughs> workers, and I'm assuming she's referring to uh, in a spiritual sense, uh, that have been impacted. I'm not sure if they're Alliance people or just uh, uh, workers in, in the field, uh, but we want to continue to pray for them. But she wanted to thank you uh, for your prayers and certainly uh, let you know that they are okay. So um, we can rejoice in that. I just want to commit this time to the Lord in prayer once again. So if you will bow your heads and, and join me. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity that you give to us to come together. And I would just pray, O oh Lord, that you might speak to each one of our hearts. Only you know exactly where we are uh, with you. Uh, maybe there are even some here this morning that are not walking with you yet. Uh, so we commit them into your hands as well. May your words go forth with the power of your precious Holy Spirit. For we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I've entitled the message this morning, The Power of a Positive Testimony. Uh, as Paul says, follow my example. And all of you here uh, who are Christians are indeed a positive example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to challenge us to this morning as we make our way through this passage of Scripture, actually just one verse we're going to focus on, although uh, many of the chapters in First Corinthians I'll refer to, uh, but the Apostle Paul wanted people to understand that as we are Christians, we have the privilege of influencing other people, uh, other Christians and the world that have not yet come to Christ. And so I want you to understand where I'm coming from in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, so I want to read an introduction to this book uh, from my Rari Study Bible. Uh, so uh, just listen to Charles Rari's comments on 1 Corinthians. The gospel was first preached in Corinth by Paul, on his second missionary journey around AD 50. You're familiar with that from the book of Acts that you've been studying on Sunday mornings. While living and working with Aquila and Priscilla, he preached in a synagogue until opposition forced him to move next door to the house of Titius Justus. The Jews accused him before the Roman governor, Gallio, but the charge was dismissed and Paul remained 18 months in the city. And that's described in Acts 18 that you've gone through not too long ago. After leaving, Paul wrote the church a letter which has been lost, according to 1 Corinthians 5.9. So there were actually three letters that we know of uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to Corinth. Uh, the second one, most likely, or it might even have been the first one, uh, was lost. But it is referred to in this book, 1 Corinthians 5.9. But disturbing news about the believers and questions they asked Paul in this letter they sent to him, as described in 7.1, prompted the writing of this book. Problems there included divisions in the church, that's in verse 11 of chapter 1, immorality, chapters 5 and 6, and the questions concerning marriage, food, uh, worship, and the resurrection. Aberrant uh, beliefs and practices of an astonishing variety characterized the church. So when you read through 1 Corinthians, you understand that the Apostle Paul's heart was really for this group of people. Many of them had turned their back and walked away from Christ. Uh, some of them were still living for Christ in one sense, but struggling with sin, 
all kinds of issues described in this book. We'll refer to them uh, quickly as we go on. But I just want you to understand, this was not a perfect church. You're not a perfect church. I've never been a part of a perfect church because we're all people. And God's still wanting to, to mold us, to make us into what he wants us to be. And the fact that you're here and sitting up this morning uh, guarantees me that you haven't arrived yet, nor have I. Because the moment we arrive, God's going to take us out uh, through death or possibly even through the, the resurrection, which we call the rapture. But for now, we're all here. and We have the privilege of listening to what the Apostle Paul says. Well, in dealing with the church, uh, which had such difficulties, Paul wanted to exhort them to look to Christ rather than to the ways of the world. Uh, it's kind of difficult today because the ways of the world inundate us on the political scene, uh, in the world in general. Uh, Christianity is certainly not appreciated in America any longer, although there are many Christians, and we love the fact that the testimony is still strong in many churches. But as a nation, uh, we've turned our back on God. We've turned our back on Christ. And so it's becoming more difficult for us to stand for Christ. Television programming, radios, movies, all of these things are being influenced by the world. And so if you're trying to live that way, or you know people who are, I have a question for you. How's it working out for you? Trying to live by the world's standards. Or put another way, is living for Jesus, excuse me, is living for the world really bringing you the satisfaction that you thought it would or that you would like? Doing the kinds of things that the world suggests you do, whatever they might be. Well, Paul suggests, and he wants us to understand very clearly that the better option is to walk with Christ, to follow Christ, to follow the Apostle Paul, as he says. In fact, in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's the verse we'll focus on here in just a few moments. But to set it up, I'm going to take us quickly through the first uh, 10 chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. And you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to refer to a few verses to give you the setting of why the Apostle Paul said this in chapter 11. He talked about his testimony in chapter 1, verse 6. Let me just read that for you very quickly. Chapter 1, verse 6. As soon as I find it here. Uh, let me start with verse 4. I think it will set the tone better. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge because of our testimony about Christ and the fact that it was confirmed in you. Now that part is what we want to understand. Paul's testimony of Christ as confirmed in the church in Corinth. Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, notes that the Apostle Paul was an ambassador for Jesus Christ, not a Christian salesman. And there's a big difference. Uh, some of the programming you may watch on television today, some of the preachers you may listen to, they seem to be more about selling their books and selling other things than they are about presenting the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul didn't want to go down that road. He wanted to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he said, follow my example, he tacked something else onto the end of that phrase, which we'll come back to in just a little bit. So the Apostle Paul was very concerned about that. What's this word testimony all about? It can actually be translated from the original language also as witness. And we all know what a witness is. A witness is simply somebody who stands up and tells you something that they've experienced. Now, it might be in a court of law. It might be sharing something of your faith to somebody else who's not yet a Christian. A witness is just sharing what you know to be true out of your own life experiences. And one thing we can know about a personal testimony is people might not want to agree with us but they're probably not going to call us a liar for something we have personally experienced. 
So the power of a positive testimony is very, very powerful indeed because we are living it ourselves. We know what God has done in our lives and we can share with other people the power that he has brought into our lives. As the Apostle Paul begins this letter, he wants to be clear about one thing. When he is sharing, he is not sharing his own thoughts in his own power. He is sharing the truth of God's word. So he wants you to understand that when I speak, when the Apostle Paul speaks, I'm speaking what Christ asked me to share with you. Every preacher should do that. Every Sunday school teacher should do that when they present the word of God to other people. We're sharing what comes from the word of God by the power of the spirit of God, which makes it actually the word of God itself. Paul wanted to be clear on that point. And indeed, he was clear on that point. Why was the Apostle Paul so clear? Because he did not come from a Christian home, as you know, his testimony, as he shared his testimony in various places. He came from a, a Jewish home, and uh, he was very committed to the Jewish faith until Christ found him one day, and uh, he realized that many of the things that he'd been taught in the Jewish faith needed something else, and that something else was the salvation brought by Jesus Christ himself. Well, his testimony was confirmed in his church, he says in verse 6 as it was confirmed in you. So I would ask you, is your testimony confirmed in your family? Is your testimony confirmed here at Faith Bible Church? Is your testimony confirmed in the place where you work? Do people know that you are the way that you are because of the person of Christ in your life? That's the point that uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to make here. Uh, though it might have been a feeble presentation of the Word of God Paul says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, I didn't come with eloquence of speech. He said that even though that's not true, I'm not here as a powerful preacher per se. I am here as a representative of Christ, and therefore you can trust in what I am saying. So the root of his testimony, if you turn on over, if you're following along, some of you are, I see have your Bibles in chapter 4, in verses 6 and 7, he says this, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos, for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in, what man, in one man over against another. So again, this is not about our human experience. This is about the experience of Christ in our life, which is a spiritual issue. He lived what he taught. I don't think there's anything more powerful than watching a Christian live their life. And understanding that they're just like us, they're very real people, they're not perfect, they make mistakes. But for the most part, they are doing their very best to live for Christ. And I trust that's probably true of many of you here. And it does make an impact on our families. It makes an impact on other folks. And that's what Paul's saying that we should do. But then he goes on, and he talks about this in verse 16 of chapter 4 as well. He talks about the, what, what he says in chapter 11, verse 1. When you see what I am doing, follow my faith. Follow my faith. Follow what I am doing. Follow my pattern of living. That's a powerful testimony and a powerful statement. Then if we go on into chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about the moral disorder in the church, and it was pretty bad. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it was actually reported among you, or reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your, uh, out of your fellowship the man who did this? So even in this church in Corinth, they were a Christian body of believers, but there were those in their midst 
that were living immorally. And the church was not doing anything about it, evidently. They weren't calling them to, to a test. They weren't saying to you that this behavior is sinful and you need to confess and repent and get back on the right track. They weren't doing that. And Saul, so Paul exhorted them to, to consider this. And he says again, follow me. Taking each other to court in chapter 6. As Christians, we shouldn't do that. Um, now, I don't want to go into a long dissertation on that subject, but basically what Paul is saying is inside the church of Jesus Christ, when we have uh, discontent, when we have differences, when we have divisions, we should be able to, inside the church, settle those issues. And that's what he's talking about. And he said, once again, they weren't doing a real good job of that, uh, but he wanted to call them back to accomplishing that. Remember your past in verse 11 of chapter 6, and don't follow it. He's saying that your forefathers didn't do a real good job of setting an example for you. And therefore, we have to realize sometimes that we have to say goodbye to the old and hello to the good. Sounds biblical, doesn't it? The old is gone and the new has come. And that's really what Paul is wanting to emphasize here. When you come to Christ, there's a time when you need to lay things aside. Now, through the years, I have witnessed to people and sometimes I've come across this issue. Well, I was raised in da-da-da-da-da, this uh, non-Christian group, and I can't uh, leave my family, uh, particularly if you know anything about the Islam uh, faith uh, and Islamic teaching. Uh, for a young person to come to Christ and walk away from their family is grounds for uh, disassociation with the family and sometimes even uh, what they call holy murder. Uh, so different groups take this very seriously, and for them to come out of that to follow Christ is very serious. And yet the Apostle Paul is saying, when we come to Christ, there are times when we have to cut ties with those things that are going to slow us down in our faith with the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it means leaving family and friends to do so. Chapter 8, he talks about a practical exhortation. Use your freedom cautiously. Uh, this is an interesting uh, challenge, I think, in verse 9. Uh, verse 9 of chapter 8, he says, Be careful, however... And before that, he's talking about the freedom we have in Christ. And he says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, what he's talking about in chapter 8 is this. Sometimes we live our lives in such a way that maybe issues uh, that we have freedom to do. Uh, you know, social drinking is one of those issues that has really two sides in the Christian church. I'm not going to talk about that other than to say that the Apostle Paul said, eating of meat which was condemned uh, by some if it had been offered to idols. That's the topic he's dealing with in the context. And he said, if there is something that's condemned, and some people call that a sin for you, even if you have the freedom, which the Apostle Paul said later, uh, meat offered to idols is nothing to him. You know, but what he does say is, if indeed I come across a weaker brother in the faith who thinks, still thinks, that eating meat offered to idols, the Apostle Paul goes as far as to say, I will never eat meat again if I find it to be an offense. So the Apostle Paul is saying, use our freedom very cautiously. Just because we have the right to do something, and I'll give you my typical, typical example of speeding in this country, we speed all over the place, and a lot of Christians speed. The speed limit is posted at 55, and we say, oh, 60 is not bad, 65 is allowed. You know, nobody, everybody's doing it. Well, that's not legitimate as far as God's concerned. If God were to come down and say, are you sinning? What do you think he would say? Share with me. What do you think he would say? Yeah, yeah you're sinning. Okay, so don't confuse yourself. 
So if I am following you and I've got a weaker conscience and you go flying by me at 75 mile an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone with a big follow me, honk if you love Jesus type of sticker on your bumper, what's that going to say to me? That's what Paul's talking about. Follow his example as he follows the example of Christ. So, you know, I, I would think, certainly I do, I still have things to work on in my life. And what Paul is saying is we all do. We all do. He goes on. Set a positive example in the personal interaction for the, pos- uh, for the gospel's sake. Chapter 9 is interesting in that everything I do should be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything I do. Whether it's at work, whether it's at play, it doesn't matter. There's nothing we should do that would ever bring dishonor to Christ. Now, that's a big challenge, I know. And yet he challenges us. You know, I, I used to work for Rockwell International. And, uh, you know, when you work in the corporate world, as I did, and many of you still do, and that, I haven't done that for many years, uh, but there was a lot of coarse joking going on. And as a young Christian, I didn't appreciate that at all. Uh, I really didn't. It, it troubled me, and I'm glad it did. It bothered me. And so through the years, there are a lot of things that I just, uh, I have decided I'm not going to do. And I think that that's what Paul's asking us to do. If there's something that troubles your conscience, don't be involved in it. And what you do with that is up to the Holy Spirit. You may have to call somebody into account. If it's a brother in the Lord, you may need to do that. But you need to be aware of what it's doing. Chapter 10 talks about a pattern to reject. And he's talking about the forefathers of his belief system, which would be the Jews. They, they didn't do a good job in following God, as you know, if you read the Old Testament. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to let go of your forefathers. Abraham and Isaac, they were good guys. They did good things. Follow what they did. Follow their example. But the Jewish forefathers as a whole really let God down. And God had to call them back many times. I just got done reading through the book of Ezekiel in my devotions. And Ezekiel's call in his prophecy was to judge the Jews. Call them out. Tell them they are living evil lives, even though they are God's chosen people. Sometimes we have to do that. It's difficult, but we have to do that. Why? Because God wants us to live like he did. Paul points out in verses 23 and 24 of chapter 10, uh, this idea, and let's just read it for a moment. Everything is permissible, the apostle Paul is saying, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Have you ever encountered people that say, it's my right to do this? Now, I've run across that, particularly in the, in the area of social drinking. I'm a teetotaler myself, and I, I have good biblical grounds for that. But I understand other Christians do drink moderately. I'm not going to debate that. Other than to say that if we really get proud about it, I have the right to do this, and I don't care what you think, I'm going to drink. You know, or whatever topic it might be. Paul is saying, don't ever allow your freedom to become a stumbling block to somebody else. And so there are choices in my life that I have made uh, intentionally so that I won't stand in the way of another brother or sister or even an unsafe person. Uh, I, I don't want to stand in their way of coming to Christ or walking with Christ. Well, all of that to say, that's the setting for chapter 11, verse 1. Having said all that, he writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, let me ask you this question. Don't respond in any way other than in your own heart. If I were to ask you this, how are you doing with that? 
Could you say to your brothers and sisters in your family, in the church, in your workplace, follow my example. He doesn't end there. As I follow the example of Christ. How would you do, do you think? Well, don't judge yourself yet. Just listen to where we're going. Follow my example. In today's culture, I think that might be difficult for some of us to come to grips with. Because who would we say is worthy to follow? Our president? <coughs> our congressman? Sometimes even preachers let us down. We can get kind of skeptical at times, can't we? Cynical even. Who can we follow? Well, the Apostle Paul says, <coughs> you can follow him. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. You know, just last Sunday, uh, I'm going to hold that one for a little bit. A few weeks ago, my wife, Burley, and I were in Morgantown, uh, West Virginia. I was doing a funeral uh, for a friend. Been friends for close to 50 years. And we love them dearly. She's been sick for a long time, and the Lord finally took her home. And I had the privilege of, of leading in that funeral service. But that's not really what I want to leave with you this morning. I, I was only one piece of that funeral service. There were nine other individuals, brothers and sisters in Christ, who shared. There was wonderful music, um, instrumental, and, and there were all kinds of things going on. But one thing pulled it all together, and this is what I want you to take away from what I'm saying right now. And almost every occasion, whether it was the songs that were picked and sung by her son-in-law or the testimonies that were shared, one thing came across loud and clear. Judy was a faithful person to her family, to her friends, to her church. But most importantly, she was faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. That stuck with me. That's powerful. That's powerful. She was not a perfect woman, but she was a faithful woman. Well, how are we doing? Are we faithful to the Lord? That's what Paul is asking. I think it's a powerful closer that Paul puts on this. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Acts chapter 4, and you may remember this, Peter and John were, uh, were involved in ministry. And they were told to stop preaching in Jesus' name in Jerusalem. And do you remember what they said? Basically, we can't do that because God has called us to do that. Jesus has called us to do that. This created a problem for them. And so they were arrested for sharing the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as, as I'm living in America today, I think that that could possibly happen even in my own lifetime. Because the world is getting more and more antagonistic toward Christianity. You can talk about almost any religion in the world. You can even talk about Christianity until you bring up the point of personal salvation in Jesus Christ. And the world doesn't really want to hear that, and there's one reason the world doesn't want to hear that. Because if we come to grips with the person of Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world, which we believe he is, then Jesus requires us to change our lives. And a lot of people just don't want to change their lives. So the world hates us. And Jesus said, not that that's going to happen to some of us, he said it's going to happen to every one of us. But they don't hate us because of who we are. They hate us because of Christ in us. And so he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Acts 4.13, he tells this story about Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, did you hear that context? 
They were not schooled with seminary degrees or Bible college or anything else. But what they did know was they had been with Jesus. Folks, if you're a saved person, you've been with Jesus. You're walking with Jesus. His Holy Spirit is inside of you, and people can view you and be drawn closer to Christ. So follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What might that look like for you? Well, I'm not sure because I don't know all of your situations, but I do know this. There's not a thing that you're going through right now that Jesus is not there with you. Joshua wrote in the Old Testament, uh, the writer of Hebrews said this in the New Testament, he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And that is a promise that you can hang on to. Therefore, whatever your situation, however dire the situation might be, whether it's for you personally, a family member, a friend, Christ is there. He will give you words to say. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've been unsure of what to do and all of a sudden you have this impression of what to share? That's the Holy Spirit working in you. And I've certainly experienced it many, many times. I'm sure that probably you have, if you think about it. And Paul is saying that's what we are to bring to the world. I was talking to a gentleman just, uh, just last weekend, talking about his faith and his church and the fact that uh, they were going through a pastoral transition. And you all know what that's like. It's not always an easy thing to do. But uh, this Sunday today, they're, they're uh, having their first service with their new pastor. But he was then sharing with a, a gal that worked with him who had been raised as a pastor's daughter. And she had seen such a hypocrisy in her church that she had now decided she didn't want any part of the Christian faith. Now, that's the negative side of what can happen. The positive side is that we can look at what Jesus is doing in our lives and turn the attention away from the negative to the positive. In a situation like this, <clears throat> we can remind people that we are all humans and we can all sin still. And because of that, we can disappoint people. And when we disappoint people, we should confess and repent, as the scripture says. And when we do that, quite often, forgiveness can take place. I've heard many stories recently of how that's happened. It's not an easy thing to do to ask somebody for forgiveness, is it, when we've done something wrong? It's really not. I remember once when I was pastoring up in Geneva, I was on the way home with uh, my assistant pastor, and we were driving on Route 90, uh, doing the speed limit, which I always do, try to always do. Not so much anymore, because you know, around big cities, you might have to bump it up five miles an hour or so to keep from getting killed. But for the most part, I set my cruise on, on, on uh, the speed limit, and I'm driving there. And all of a sudden, we looked back in our mirror as we were going along, heading home. I think the speed limit was 65 then. Might have been 70, I don't remember. But I was doing the speed limit, and all of a sudden, up behind me was a car I recognized. It was a member of our church going pretty quickly, uh, moving past me. And she got up right beside my car, and she, I had an Alliance logo in my uh, side window at that time. She got right up beside my car and evidently saw who I was or saw the logo or something. She hit the brakes because she saw the car slow down quickly. And she got in behind me, and she followed me the rest of the way back to the Geneva exit. And I thought, I'm not sure if that's a positive example or a negative example for her. <laughs> But it does get people's attention, doesn't it? When we proclaim something appropriately in God's will, other people can see what we are doing and be changed for the positive. Or maybe even if it's a negative thing, they can begin to question, why does he do what he does? 
And if they can look to the gospel of Jesus Christ, begin reading a Bible or, or going to Sunday school or church, maybe they just might open their eyes to the fact that what Jesus does in the human heart is not secular. It's not human at all. It's supernatural. And it can be extremely beneficial to anyone who will follow him. And if we do that with love in our hearts, we can positively impact other people. There's a song that George Yance uh, from the cathedrals used to sing about, uh, I'm not the same daddy anymore. Uh, maybe some of you remember that. He used to be uh, uh, drunk and gambled and all kinds of things, and then he found Christ in the song. And when he came to Christ, he came home, and his son was afraid of him. And he sang the song, Daddy doesn't live here anymore. And that's true of us when we come to Christ. We are not the same people we were before we came to Christ. And we need to be mindful of that. Now, what Satan will do is he'll remind us of all the things we've done badly in the past, all the sin we've committed in the past. And he'll like to say things to us like this. I told you this didn't work. I told you it's not for you. you nobody can do what Jesus did because Jesus was, and even Satan knows who Jesus was, the Son of God. But what we can do is remember what Christ says. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, which means that we need to spend more time in the Word of God. We need to spend more time with Christians, honoring God. Uh, Christian concerts, Christian books, Christian movies, whatever. We need to spend more time in Bible study, knowing what God would do in a given situation where we find ourselves. He was a faithful servant, the Apostle Paul. But he didn't start out that way, and neither did any of us. It's a powerful closer. I think that, you know, the takeaway I want to leave for us this morning is pretty simple. None of us is perfect. And if we're looking for perfect Christians to follow, we're going to be disappointed because there aren't any such people around. Only Jesus Christ was able to do that. And that's why he calls us to follow him. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, how do we best know what to do? To know what Christ would do to follow the Holy Spirit. We can and should confess if we sin, but then remember what God says in that. It's as far as east as from the west. There's a passage in the book of Romans, which the Apostle Paul also wrote in chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, if you're born again here this morning, God cannot condemn you. Let me flip back, and if you want to turn to this one, you might want to turn to it and underline it. It's the book of Jude. It's the little book right in front of the book of Revelation. So if you go all the way to the back of your Bibles, uh, to the book of Revelation, and then look at the last two verses of Jude. There's only one chapter. Jude chapter 1, because there's only one, verses 24. Well, I'll just read verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's such a beautiful picture. When God looks down upon you or me, he does not see me in all of the evil things I have ever done in my life. This passage reminds us of what the rest of Scripture says. What God the Father sees when he looks down upon a Christian is Jesus Christ. He doesn't see Rick Rose. He doesn't see you. He doesn't see all the things that are there in your life that you've done in the past. He sees Jesus Christ. There is no sin in Jesus Christ. Therefore, what God the Father sees in us is the perfection of his Son, Jesus Christ. 
The Apostle Paul says, the better we get at living as Jesus lived his life, the more impactful we are going to be in this world. And even when we do sin, we are not losing our salvation. We may have to go back before God and confess and repent and before people and confess and repent. But we show them by doing that that we are humble people. We are humble people because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. And I think the church, if there's anything that I'm praying for more than anything else, and I've said this to you before, I'm sure, it's revival. I was just challenged a week or so ago <coughs> by a friend who says he doesn't think that it's a good prayer anymore because we're too far into the end times. Well, I didn't argue with him. I still pray for revival because I would desire to see more people come to Christ before Christ returns. And I think that that's what the scripture teaches. So until such a time as he comes, we are to continue to live our lives as positive role models, as positive testimonies of the change that Jesus Christ can make in a human life. Now, last Sunday, we combined our adult Sunday school classes at Dover, uh, at Dover Alliance, and we listened to testimony. There were, there were close to 70 of us in there. And a man by the name of Fred Dietz shared his testimony. He's dying of cancer. He's been battling with cancer for about three years. The doctor just a couple months ago gave him a year to live. He's still able to do some of the things he loves to do. He plays trombone, plays music, uh, although he's given up everything other than playing at the church. He'll still lead uh, uh, songs once in a while for our first service. Uh, so he's still able to do certain things. But he shared his testimony. He talked about some of the struggles he's been through, all the treatments he's received, the procedures he's gone through to try to abate this cancer to keep it from uh, taking his life. He's uh, to the point where he said, you know, when the doctor told us that I had one year to live, it kind of caught us by surprise for a moment, even though we knew that this was the end of the road. We knew that from the time they first diagnosed him because they told him that this was one of those cancers that had no treatments that were going to cure him. They could prolong his life. And so we listened to this man share with a couple of his kids and grandkids there and with our church, and, and he has no regrets. And people who know him know he's not perfect. But what an example he shares with us as he smiles, as he leads singing, as he plays in a trumpet quartet with his trombone, or as he sings in a men's quartet. This guy is doing what Paul says we all should do. He's impacted many lives, including my own. Uh, and I think that that's what we should do with our lives. If you're interested, they've actually, we, we taped it, and it's on YouTube, uh, one of the positive things on YouTube. And if you are interested in that, let me know afterwards. But, you know, I, I look at my own life in comparison to Fred's and to others I've known and to some of the negative ones that I've seen, and I say, you know, God, I'm not there yet. I've been doing this a long time. I'm not there yet. But I know as long as I live, I'm going to do my best to live so that others can follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful once again for the privilege you've given to us to be your children. And I pray now as we close this service by doing some other things, so you might not let this message drift away from us without giving careful consideration to where we are with you and how we're impacting others in a very positive way. We just commit that to you. May we be encouraged, may we be uplifted, knowing that we are living our lives for you. 
For we ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.